Congratulations! You found it! The most inappropriate book club you never knew you were missing! Starring the original book diva, Bonnie Golden, and also featuring Keith Steigert, Uber Reader and Romance Junkie, Pat Greiner, she has the head of an English major and the heart of a sci-fi nerd. These people are passionate about books, maybe a little too passionate. Plotting world domination one book at a time, they are three book girls. So what's going on with you guys this week? My mom turned 70 this year. Uh, and I was wow. like, you know, it would be really nice if we could like, you know, get together, maybe have a little family picnic and everything. And my mom always jokes around that each one of the sisters, me and my sisters, each have a role. And uh, she always calls me the micromanager because they throw yeah. ideas out and I plan everything down. I called Tyler and I was telling him about this picnic. And do you know... That that little shit took over all the planning for the picnic. Yeah, but I'm not used to not planning everything. He did kind of take over. And it was just, it cracked me up just because it's so something I would do. Hmm. So you raised him right. (laughs) I guess. I think I raised him right. I'll have to ask his uh, girlfriend later. (laughs) (laughs) Let him take over. Hooray. I would love it if my kids would take over all the weird family crap. And to be fair, I still am in charge of the holidays. That's what I don't want to be in charge of. I don't even want to do holidays. I've gotten very grinchy in my uh, old age. Actually, I was pretty grinchy when I was young, too. I just (laughs) don't want to do anything. I want to sit in my room and read a book or watch TV or watch YouTube and not people with anybody. Yay. Yeah. That's the nice thing about having an old dog who, who can't go a long time without being let out or other, otherwise he will have an accident in the house. Cause you can always go, this is a great party, but I got to go because if I don't leave now, the dog is going to pee on the road. <laughs> <laughs> I try to tell Martha stuff like that and she gets mad at me. She's like, you're always putting that dog first. I'm jealous of your dog. You say, well, I'll stay, but you have to go home with me and you clean the rug. <laughs> <laughs> right. You get to clean up after if she makes a mess. So did I tell you guys last week about how annoyed I was that Robert De Niro had a baby and he's 79? Good golly. No, I don't think you did. Well, now Al Pacino is having a baby. He's 83 and his wife is or girlfriend whatever is 29 my can gosh. i just say what the hell <laughs> was it was it was it anthony quinn who was like 86 or something when he had a why is he even gonna be able to pick this child up like i'm not <laughs> say, like you can do a bunch of stuff when you're 83 dude i was like 34 and i had a baby and i felt like the oldest person alive <laughs> I mean, well, to be fair, his wife is probably going to do more, most of the work. Which is bullshit, by the way. That his wife has to do all the work? Well, yeah, because she has an old, decrepit man. I'll tell you what. My mind is so fucked up. The whole time, I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, you're 83, she's 29. Like, is that even enjoyable? Does he just lie there and she does whatever she needs to do? Like, I don't even know how that works. Well, how did, yeah, because how, if he did too much work on top, he might have like a heart attack or something. Right. Does she constantly think, oh, this could be the day when he dies? Well, maybe they are really in love. No, no, (laughs) no. Yeah, I... I don't know. I always think that when you see this, like, especially celebrity couples where they're like 40 or 50 years apart and you go, really? Is there, is the attraction there real or is it? It's more than 50 years apart. That's crazy. 54 years. He's like, a. she's like the age of like a great grandson or great granddaughter. Not, Ew. not even granddaughter. So now I have Nick Cannon, Robert De Niro, and Al Pacino that are pissing me off, <laughs> man-wise and baby-wise. 
Like, what is happening? You're 29 years old. You are in the prime of your life. Seriously, Al Pacino and his 83-year-old butt is, like, what you decide to do? Like, really? You know, when I hear stories like that, have you ever watched um, Big Daddy? It's a really, really old Is movie. it the one with Adam Sandler? It has Adam Sandler. Yeah, I love that movie. His uh, Hooters <laughs> girlfriend yeah. gets together with that old guy. And Adam yeah. Sandler is just... And just those old balls coming towards you. That's all I can think of. When dude, I hear about I mean, old okay. couples or old and young couples like that is that they have old balls. <laughs> Honestly, I want to say 25 years is probably like I'm OK with an age gap. I really am. But 25 years is probably my upper limit. Like 54 years. No, no. That's insane. That's like Anna Nicole Smith garbage right there. Yeah. I mean, I've known That's people who, who thought, have been in love with know, people who were in older. In five years, he's going to be dead and I'm going to be rich. <laughs> you know what? I hope he lives to be 109. Yeah. <laughs> so mean. Scientology is weird. They have all sorts of rules that I don't understand. Who's the guy in charge of that that made it up? He oh, probably well. said it was okay. Now we're on Hubbard. Yeah, him. Is he alive still? I don't look him up, bro. I wonder if he's having I want to say I don't think so, but... He probably has an 18-year-old wife. I was just going to say, he probably has a lot of young chicks, and he's probably allowed <laughs> to have, like, five at a time. Let's see. Wikipedia says... Or no, he, di he died in 1986. Oh. <laughs> oh, wow. I hope he's not having more kids then. Yeah. He froze his sperm. You know, I got to I got to wonder about anybody who like devotes their life to a religion that was made up by a sci-fi author. I mean, right there red flags should be going up all Right? Over. Yeah. And all the people who are high up are people with tons of money. Mm -hmm. Like a religion where you buy you have to buy your way in seems bizarre. Well, that, that's a that's a proud old religious tradition. Yeah, we were selling indulgences in the Catholic Church back in medieval times it's like yes you can be forgiven of your sins if you spend enough money <laughs> crazy stuff happening in the world with the famous people and but that's why i don't follow most of them except that this al pacino stuff is everywhere i haven't heard anything about al pacino and robert de niro tell you what i don't know exactly why google hates me the only news i get is what i see on my ipad's google screen like my home page and i'm always kind of flabbergasted by the things that they think i want to read about and robert de niro's one of them and al pacino's one and like some of them i get like there's top chef news because that's like one of the shows i watch and there's always book stuff and but then there's something about how how chick-fil-a became a target for going woke like and i'm like what for going Chick -fil -A what doesn't seem very woke to me what's what woke really ron DeSantis hates <laughs> thank you i was trying to think of a nice way to say that honestly <laughs> I thought that Chick-fil-A was in the news not too long ago because they uh, they didn't support gay rights. They don't, but apparently they have a diversity, equity, and inclusion policy at their, for, for jobs, and they don't like that either. That's woke. It's funny when people are asking them to... People are saying, hey, can you please boycott Chick-fil-A because they're too liberal like chick-fil-a is Chick not a. too liberal they're too woke that's why they're like um yeah guys don't go to chick-fil-a because they 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 hire diverse be like they have diversity hiring no that's terrible boo that's great well I, I wonder if they did instituted some policy because they were getting so much bad press about you know what do a lot of people care? Because honestly, of all the fast food places, every time I go past Chick-fil-A, their lines are out the freaking like 
parking lot like that's the one place that you have a good half an hour wait even though the the young people who work there are freaking amazing oh really light and awesome but they're always super fast our ours are too but that's how crazy crowded it is Uh like because chick-fil-a is sunday sunday it's a ghost town (laughs) it's because chick-fil-a is freaking delicious that's why martha can hate me later for this comment because i know she doesn't like chick-fil-a then i said well of course pretty much any business is damned if they do and damned if they don't because i was seeing stories this week about target which is now coming under fire because in selected southern stores they have moved their pride merchandise for june to the back of the store and made it uh they didn't completely get rid of it but they made it unobtrusive and so now the people who object to lbgtq stuff are still still mad at them because they still have it but the people who are on the lgbtq side are also mad because they moved the stuff to the back of the store so honestly they should be mad you know what june is pride month there's one freaking month a year. Deal with it. Don't go to Target for that month yeah. if you're so bothered by it. It could be a merchandising ploy. If you have to walk to the back of the store to get what you're looking for, then you might pick up more stuff on the way. Yeah, it's kind of cute that anything with a rainbow now, people don't like. I mean, there's like this T-shirt and it's got a rainbow splatter and then a big dinosaur on it. like, And it's like a little boy shirt. And I keep seeing TikToks where people are just like, how dare you? How dare you try to indoctrinate my child? And I'm like, you know, rainbows have existed for a long time and so have dinosaurs. It's weird. Yeah. Someone once gave me grief because I don't shave my toes very often either. Your toes? Yeah. People shave. That really offends people if you have hairy toes. Some people. Seriously? I have never... I've never even thought about shaving toes. I have to shave my toes sometimes, especially my big toes. I have hobbit feet. They get hairy. (laughs) (laughs) My toes have probably been offending people for years. Plus in the summer, I paint them. I paint the 10 toes with 10 different colors of nail polish. So people probably think it's a pride statement and are upset about my feet. (laughs) You might Mm -hmm. be on TikTok somewhere. You We'll we'll have to look. (laughs) I think it's amazing that you're able to paint your toenails, Pat. I think that's a a skill. I'm just, I'm glad I found these little foam rubber things that slide in between your toes and hold them apart while your nail polish dries. I have seen those. I want some of those. I can't ever find them. I forget where I found them, but it was like, this was the best invention ever because to try and before I found those, I used to put pencils between my toes to hold them apart while the nail polish dried. Oh, that's a good idea. Well, there would inevitably be something that I decided, oh, I need to get up and do that before the polish is dried. And so I would have to walk around on my heels with my toes lifted up so that the pencils <laughs> didn't get out. And it was, it was both not exactly painful, but uncomfortable and annoying and probably pretty stupid looking. <laughs> That's funny. I'm lucky if I can move my bathroom rug with my toes. Is anyone I'm pretty else? good at doing stuff with my toes. Are you? Yeah, when I was like 18, I had abdominal surgery and then I couldn't bend over for a, like a long time. And I got very good at doing shit with my toes. I don't know why you would want to do things with your toes if you had hands. Because hands are ultimately better at grabbing things. They are. (laughs) It's like they were designed for it. Yeah. Almost like we have opposable thumbs. It's too bad the people at home can't see the weird hand (laughs) gestures I'm making (laughs) to to show the the grabby thing. If if you could see the the puppetry that Keith is doing right now, you'd appreciate that. Yeah, I'm a psycho. I talk with my hands. That's why you need to learn to pick things up with your toes, because then your hands are free to talk with. So are we ready to start with some books? Yes. Well, I've kind of been trying to branch out a little bit in my historical fiction venue and read about other countries, 
other than Germany and Russia, where I tend to stay a lot. Is it still a war book, though? Yes, of okay, course. Cool. It's still a war book. <laughs> I didn't want you veering too far out of left field. <laughs> uh, this week I read In the Shadow of the Banyan by Vaddy Ratner. That's V-A-D-D-E-Y-R-A-T-N-E-R. And this is a debut novel Ooh. about um, Cambodia. Some of these words I cannot pronounce, but it's set in Cambodia and it follows the seven-year-old Rami and her family during the Civil War, which happened about the same time as the Vietnam War. In fact, Vietnam and the Americans kind of got involved with the Civil War. And I read that just online when I was trying to read more about the war because I don't know very much about Cambodia or the war that the civil war that happened. But Rami is seven years old. She's had polio, so she has a brace on her leg. And she's also well to do. Her family is considered royalty. Her grandma is considered a queen. So they're higher class. And when the civil war happens, um they're forced out of their house. And because they're clearing the city, because they say that the Americans are going to bomb the city. The rebels, they call themselves like the industry or something like that. I can't remember exactly what they call themselves, but they're forced out of their house. And they're taken to a school that used to be occupied and ran by Buddhists. And you kind of find out that the Buddhists have all been killed. And uh, so they're they're taken into one of the classrooms and that's where they're supposed to live. And it is the grandma, the dad, the mom, Rami and her sister. And I can't remember how old her sister is, but she's young, like three or four, not very old at all. And her father is also a well-known poet along with being part of the royal family. And he kind of tries to distract Rami from the fact that they've been forced out of their house and everything else by like trying to tell her stories and everything else. They stay in the Buddhist school for a while and then the rebels kind of find out that her dad is royalty. They try really hard not to say who they are because they don't want to be killed as an example but they find out and her dad, I, I think her uncle and aunt are with them too. But her, her dad is taken away. And then the family is moved again to a different location. It's almost like, remember that book that I read about the school for mis- the missionary? Yes. Missionaries, children's school, boarding school in China when Japan took over China. Mm -hmm. And kind of like each location that they went to was a little worse than the last one. Well, this is kind of the same thing. Very early on, one of the people from one of the rebels take away Rami's leg brace because they say that it could be used as a weapon. So they take away all of their possessions and any food that are in the fields. And they give everybody a ration of food. And they give all of the adults and the children the same amount of rations and if there's any kids under a specific age which would be Rami's sister they're not allowed rations because the moms should just share with them they don't give them any rations and their rations is basically like a can of rice a day that's it but of course you know people are resourceful and they hunt and and gather different things that they can cook and everything else. It was a sad story because, and I don't want to give too much away for anyone who wants to read it, but like they're forced out of their house. They go to their first location. People from the camp, mainly the men, are taken and either sent to labor camps or just killed in the forest. Like the rebels just take them in the middle of the forest and just kill them. Then they go to another location, which is basically like a labor camp with an extremely poor community in the rice fields. You know, it's just these, this family who went from 
having everything and having servants do everything for them and then taken from their house and then having to figure out how to survive on their own with these meager rations and having to, I'm probably not giving it justice, but it was a really good book. And just to think that this is actually semi-autobiographical. Of course, you know, specific things have been changed, but it's basically the story of what happened to this person. It's just extremely sad. And I actually didn't know anything about the Civil War in Cambodia at all. Um, So I had to look it up online and find out more information about it. And it's just terrible, especially since anyone who agreed with the government was basically enemy number one and was tortured or killed or sent to labor camps and basically just worked until they died. I mean, it's just, it's horrible. Was this the same war that like that movie, The Killing Fields was about? I'm not sure. Let me look up The Killing Fields. Yeah, yeah, it is. On assignment covering the Cambodia's uh, Civil War. So yeah, that is. That's the only thing, that movie is the only thing I know about Cambodia. Yeah, it's... That's more than, you both know more than I do. (laughs) Well, before I read this book, I actually did not know very much about Cambodia. I had to, I I even had to look up where it was exactly because I wasn't exactly sure where it was located. How horrible is that? I also do not know that. I kind of know the general. (laughs) I mean, I have a general idea. Laos, Cambodia kind of all are in the same chunk of space to me. Yeah. Well, um, considering that it was like part of the Vietnam War, it was considered part of the Vietnam War. I kind of figured that it was over there near them, but I still wanted to look it up because cause I'm just a dork that way. It was well written. It was even though the horrific things were happening because it was told from the point of view of a seven year old. You don't get a lot of details. And that's another thing that I really kind of liked about the book some authors don't do when you're seven and all of this stuff happens, you don't really have a clue exactly what things are. So it doesn't go into a lot of detail about like the executions or what the soldiers were doing. It was told from the point of a seven year old and things that she overheard. So as an adult, you can read about what she overheard and you know what it means but she doesn't know what it means in the book. The author does a really great job at keeping that pure, if that makes sense. So yeah, it was a good book. I enjoyed it. It only took me a couple of days to read it, which means that it probably was a good book because then I didn't keep putting (laughs) it down. (laughs) And I would recommend it to somebody. And especially since it doesn't go into a lot of detail about the killings, it's not real graphical. It would be good for somebody who's a little more squeamish, who doesn't want to read about in detail about horrible things. Right. And that again is called In the Shadow of the Banyan by Vaddy Ratner. It was good. It was awesome. Keith, go. Okay. So the book I'm reviewing this week is called Still Beating by Jennifer Hartman. So before I start talking about what this book is about, let me say that anyone who wants to read this book, the author is really, really good about at the very beginning, like before you even get into the book, she's got like a foreword and she says, here are the things in this book. If this is going to make you uncomfortable, please step away because this book is a dark romance And there is some really messed up stuff that happens in the first quarter of the book. Okay, so this book is about a woman named Cora, and she is celebrating her sister's birthday at a bar. And they have like a bunch of friends there. And her sister is engaged to this guy named Dean. And he and her sister have been together for 15 years like high school sweethearts, the whole thing. And they're finally going to get married in December. And Cora hates him. 
they pick at each other all the time. They're constantly like making digs at each other and they do really nasty pranks to each other. The one I remember is she was going to a really important job interview and he wrapped her entire car in plastic wrap, like many layers of plastic wrap. So she was almost late to her job interview and it was almost a big disaster. So the two of them are not great friends. And Cora is at this bar and they offer her a ride home and she doesn't take it because she doesn't want to be in the car with this guy. So she's talking to a guy and she realizes she's alone. And so she goes to leave and realizes somebody's stolen her wallet. So she can't call an Uber to get home. And the only she tries all these people in her contacts that don't answer. And it's like two in the morning, by the way. And of course, the only person that answers her is the fiance, Dean. And she's really not excited about the fact that he's coming to get her. But um, as she's waiting outside for him, this guy that she describes as a Gacy type of guy is trying to talk to her and she keeps kind of moving away. And then he's trying to touch her and stuff and she's getting freaked out. And Dean comes and pulls up in his car and she gets in. And the guy's still trying to talk to them. And he asks them at one point if they're together. And they're both like, no, oh my gosh, that's ridiculous, yuck. And so as Dean gets ready to drive the car away, suddenly Cora's window, passenger window is shattered. And this guy is trying to pull her out of the car through the window. And Dean is trying to stop him and Dean gets knocked out and the guy has a gun and they both get abducted. And they wake up in this basement with very little light and they're chained up to poles. And so the first quarter of the book is pretty nasty because this guy just does unspeakable things like he rapes her every day. And at one point, he starts forcing Dean to have sex with her. And he barely feeds them. And they're in captivity for, I think it's like 22 days. But the really amazing part of this book is when they get out of this situation, when they're rescued, when they go home, most of the book is about that. And about the things that they've gone through and the way that they are changed from this experience and the way that they are just, they are not the same people at all, but their loved ones don't understand that. Like the girl, his fiance is just kind of like, okay, um, let's go back to planning weddings. And he doesn't care about that anymore because I mean, when you're locked up by a crazy man for 22 days and starved and forced to do unspeakable things, I mean, it changes who you are as a person. And most of the book is about the profound way that they have to get through this. I mean, they, they survive the terrible encounter and then after they get out, they're both still surviving, but they're not living if that makes sense mm -hmm. they're just doing the bare minimum to be able to get through the day and it's this journey about exactly how they get to the point where they can heal as much as is possible i mean and it's really interesting just to look at the mental aspect of i mean this author really does now, I mean, I wouldn't know because I've never been in this situation, but she really does a fabulous job of getting in the mindset of a person who's been through this and just trying to figure out exactly where you go and how you become, how you like live with something like this that has happened to you, how you change into somebody that you can live with and how you evolve into someone different like i said the first and it's literally 
the first 25% of the book is about their horrific encounter. It is not graphic. It's more about the way that they get through it. Like they, she kind of goes off into her own place. He sings to her a lot. There's a special place on her wrist that he, he says, you know, just focus on me touching you on your wrist and don't focus on anything else. I mean, it's really interesting the the things that they employ to get them through this like terrible, terrible ordeal. And um, so again, really read the trigger warnings. Like I don't have a lot of things that really upset me in a book, but obviously there are a lot in this. And but the author does a really great job of telling you point blank at the beginning exactly what you're going to read about and what they're going to go through so that you can make an informed decision, but whether you want to read it. But I mean, I thought the last three quarters of the book were just phenomenal. She's a really good writer. She does a great job of just making, she made me think about a lot of different things. I mean, we talk about true crime a lot on this podcast and this really painted a picture of what happens after the true crime happens you know what i mean and what happens to those people who have to go on with their life now so i really really enjoyed it but again make sure you're really knowing what you're getting into with it and that was still beating by jennifer hartman so in what respect is it a romance (laughs) (laughs) well when you're forced to have sex with someone often they get kind of confused in their emotions you know what i mean uh-huh i don't want to spoil anything but oh, i yeah. mean this guy turns out to be a serial killer and he has a very specific mo so it's it's really interesting but i mean it it's not your usual like meet cute happy-go-lucky romance it's more of like an unfortunate romance if that makes sense you you have succeeded once again intriguing me with a book that i would not normally look at but i'm i have to say i'm curious about this one now (laughs) and her job is complete (laughs) (laughs) i can't just read funny romance all the time you gotta change it up some yeah, yeah, I got to read something messed up every once in a while. When you read the messed up that, stuff, is, the funny stuff is funnier. What's that? Said when you read the messed up stuff, the funny stuff is funnier. Yes. I, I did have to read a couple of really funny things to, to bleach my brain afterward. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you have for us, Pat? I have one of the most intriguing sci-fi books that I have read in quite a while. It is called Eversion. Not like the E-version of a book, which it was a word that I was not familiar with before. Eversion means turning something inside out. Oh, I didn't know that either. I I did not know that 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 word even existed. So the book is called Eversion. It is by Alastair Reynolds. And when it started out, my first thought was, why is this a sci-fi book? Because at the beginning, you are in the 1800s, the early 1800s, set on a ship, a sailing ship that is going up into the northern part off, sort of off the coast of Norway. The book is told from the perspective of Simon Code, who is the ship's physician. And this ship is on its way to search out something called the edifice, which is a mysterious construction. There is a Russian guy on board who has knowledge of the existence of the edifice. And he's promised them that there is something that will be tremendously valuable, that will be worth all the misery they're going through to try and find it. But he's pretty vague about what actually they expect to find at the edifice. So this sailing ship heads north. One of the main things that happens early on is that one of the crew members 
is struck in the head by a piece of tackle that falls from up in the rigging of the ship. And the doctor has to save him by performing trepanning. For old school medical devotees, that was when they used to bore a hole in your skull. I wonder. To release the pressure because he had internal bleeding on his brain. And so they bored a hole, hole in his skull to release that pressure. And it saves his life. You go on, there is a woman on board who is kind of contentious with the rest of the crew. First of all, it was odd even to have a woman on board back in those days. And she is some kind of a specialist, an etymologist, a language specialist. And she's like picking at stuff the doctor says about, well, are you, why are you choosing this word instead of that word? What's wrong? You know, why didn't you choose this other way of expressing that? So that's kind of a weird thing. And you wonder, why is she here? And then they get to, they have to pass through a narrow fissure in the rocks. And inside, they think they will find this edifice. And as they're passing through this fissure in the rocks, they see the wreckage of another ship. And this other ship they recognize as being the one that the Russian claims to have gotten his information from. And everyone on board goes, wait a minute, you told us you got charts and maps from the people on the Europa. You didn't tell us the Europa was wrecked and that apparently everyone died <laughs> in the attempt to find the edifice. So then the crew is a, is a little freaked out. They're being buffeted around by storms and tides. They think they see something that might be the edifice. And about that point, the mast cracks in half. It hits, falls down, hits the doctor in the head, and he's dead. And suddenly, you're in a time period about 50 years later on another ship with the same name and the same crew, essentially. The crew has the same name as everyone on the first ship. Only this time, they're off the coast of Patagonia. They're in a steam-powered vessel, so you're 50, 60 years later, and they're again trying to find the edifice. And this pattern repeats several times through the book. Each time they're a little bit later, they're on an airship at one point, a, uh, a, a dirigible going in through a hole in Antarctica and exploring on the inside of the earth, which was a belief that people had for a while, that somewhere in Antarctica was an opening that would let you go inside, kind of like journey to the center of the earth. And explore. And then they're on a spaceship. But the ships are always named the same thing. The crew is always named the same thing. The same crew member always receives a head injury that the doctor successfully treats. And there's always this woman who doesn't seem to be a regular part of the crew. And as I said, at first, I'm going, what's the sci-fi connection here? I don't want to give too much away, but when the sci-fi connection is revealed, it is one of the most intriguing twists I have read in a long time. And it's the kind of detailed, fascinating thing. I was listening to the audiobook rather than reading it. And one of the things that I dislike about audiobooks, really the only thing, is that it's hard to go back if you say, oh, wait, how did that exactly work? And in a physical book, you can flip back through the pages pretty quickly and, and reread a section. That's tougher to do in an audiobook, but it was worth it for me on this one because I spent a lot of time going, wait a minute, did I miss a detail there? And going back a couple of hours worth and checking and, and saying, oh, yeah, now I see how this fits together. So... When you get to the sci-fi part, it is really interesting. And one of the other things that makes this an interesting read is that because the story takes you through these different time periods, early 1800s, late 1800s, mid-19 or early 1900s, and then on into the future, and the author changes his writing style for each of those time periods so that it sounds and feels like an 18th century book, a 19th century book, a future book. And the other thing that's intriguing about this book is that it sent me down a wormhole that I would never have gone down otherwise, or a rabbit hole, I guess, because I found myself on the internet looking at YouTube videos about 
theoretical geometry, which is not something that I would normally go and try to track down. But there's a specific meaning to eversion, as well as the general notion of turning something inside out. It apparently is used specifically to refer to the idea of trying to take a sphere and turn a sphere inside out without making a hole in it. And when I first heard that, it was like, my first thought was, not possible. But if you get into the YouTube videos, if, if, you're, if you want to look into some pretty interesting stuff about geometry, and I have to admit, I was, I was a nerdy kid who loved geometry in high school. It was my favorite branch of mathematics. But the notion of how to turn a sphere inside out and why you can theoretically do that with a sphere but not a circle and how you have to map points on one sphere and map them onto something else and then twist it around. And it just was fascinating. And the character of Simon Code is a wonderful, wonderful creation. He takes you through, as I said, different periods of time, different approaches to the problem. And when you finally find out, I will say just a little bit of a spoiler, one of the key things that you find out and that leads to your understanding of this book is who Simon Code turns out to really be. And it's not at all what I expected. This was was a book that had me surprised all the way to the end. So I would, if you like time travel-y stuff, not time travel, but time twisting, stuff, things that take a story and cast it into different periods of time and then find a way of bringing those all together in a way that they make sense. I've probably made this description more confusing than it needs to be, but I don't want to give away too many spoilers. But I was totally enthralled with this book, really fascinated. That is Eversion by Alistair Reynolds. That sounds pretty cool, dude. It does sound pretty interesting. I'm kind of curious how you turn a sphere inside out without poking a hole in it now. Yep. Check out YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) So you know what I've been doing? Sitting here? What? Um, Well, I'm crazy. We know that. So I've been looking up who the oldest father is. So some guy in Tampa was 92 years old when he had his a baby my 92 his wife was 38 and then i found a list of the nine oldest celebrities to have babies you ready for this let's see charlie chaplin 73 and apparently he was well known for dating teenagers Like, he married an 18-year-old when he was 54, which really seems nasty and wrong. But whatevs. Apparently, her parents were cool with that. Um, Dude, I'd be freaking out. Please, babies, don't marry people that are, like, 40 or more years older than you. Thanks. Strom Thurmond was 73. Tony Randall was 78. Dude, Scotty from Star Trek was 80. Yeah, and but he, he married, you what? lose you lose time every time that you go light speed. So he was eighty technically, <laughs> but because he'd been in light in light speed for so long, he was really only like forty. Dude, I love him, but he was fifty four and he married an eighteen year old. <laughs> ew, 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 ew! Come on, people. And Anthony Quinn, which is Pat said, eighty one. Saul Bellow, eighty four. Edwin Edwards at 85. I guess he was a governor of Louisiana. She was 30. He's 85. She was 34. And Ernest Lehman at 86. What's up with people? But are all the old guys rich dudes? Oh, well, yeah. Well, no, not this, not this Tampa guy. I don't know what his deal is. Uh, Well, so. Meth makes Our you do some weird things. Sperm have the same, because like they, they say, when a woman is past 40 or so, like your chances of 
having a Down syndrome child or something along that line go way up because yep. your your eggs are like past their use by date or whatever. So you're saying they had I, to pick these young women? Well, I, no, I'm wondering if anything <laughs> is true with sperm. I mean, are they producing? You know what? No, that's the that's the awful thing. No, nothing because no. that's constantly like yeah, there is no when men produce sperm new all the time, like their body yeah. produces sperm. Uh, females born are born with all of the eggs that they're ever going to have in their life. When nature's cruel cool joke. Yep. But I mean, honestly. If you were like in your 80s and you wanted to have a baby and you wanted to be married to someone like kind of close to your age, you could do a surrogate thing. I'm, I, I'm truly flabbergasted at some point, like you're in your 80s. Why? What do you even need with a young wife? I don't know. I'm so confused. I don't understand. I get what's in it for the women. Does Al Pacino even know what to do with this like 39 year old woman? Like, I thought she was like 24. Oh, no, wait, she's 29. Shit. I don't even remember now. <laughs> now I've got all these ages in my mind. I'm all confused. That's crazy. Well, you know, it's like heaven knows I love me some Patrick Stewart, but he's another one. He's married to a woman who's like 40 some years younger than him. Come on. Oh, my gosh. And now I'm upset. Of course, you know, there there may be some, some practical thoughts to it, too, because all, a lot of this, and stop me if I've told you this story before, because I love to tell this story. My brother is married to a woman who's, I think, about 25 years younger than he is. When he, was, a, when he was in his mid-50s, she got pregnant with twins. And I said to him, are you out of your mind? <laughs> Because I'm a supportive sister like that. Uh -huh. And he, what he said was, you know, the stuff that's a pain in the neck with kids when they're little fall on the football field and break an arm or they, you know, just, he said, you can deal with that. The stuff when kids, when kids really get to be a pain, it's when they're in their early 20s. It's when what? they are getting thrown out of college or getting fired from a job or having a marriage breakup or all that. And then he said, I figure by the time these kids are old enough to be hitting that stuff that's a real pain, I'll be senile and my wife can deal with it. <laughs> oh, my God, that's the worst. I didn't even think about that. The, the good news is those kids are now in their, uh, they're about to start their final year of college, and he has not gone senile yet. Oh. <laughs> the universe yeah, heard him. Take that. When you have a baby when you're 83... Honestly, it's kind of, I mean, 83 is up there. Yeah. Does he have a good, I mean, if he lives really long, I mean, what's the most he has? Like another 10 years if he's super lucky. So he gets to see him live till they're 10. They're not even cool yet. Hey, my baby was cool at 10. Hmm. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, you don't get to see them become people and who they're going to be. I like, know. Actually, yeah, I think he was kind of a pain in the ass at 10. I I have always said, and I will always say, 12 is the worst. Yeah. 12 is just pure and utter death. 12 and 13 was, was pretty rough. Yeah, just no. It's not the teenage years. It's those pre-teen years. Uh-huh. Oh. I've made myself sad thinking about these old dudes. Pacino might not have to worry about those preteen years. Mm. I don't know. I mean, to each their own. If if it's an actual relationship and they're in love, but it just kind of makes you wonder if. I really hope these women get tons and tons of money and then marry nice men that are kind of closer to their age that they can have fun with. Because I don't know. What do you even have in common with an 83-year-old guy when you're, like, in your 20s? Like, you want to go out and have drinks. Is it, He wants to have the early bird special at Denny's. Like, I don't know. True. It was Jackie Kennedy when she married Onassis. 
was there a, I mean, there was an age difference. Was it that huge? I can't even remember. Sure. Now I got to look. I tried to ask Google, but Google doesn't understand what I'm asking. Honestly, I don't know that I understand what I'm asking. Apparently they were longtime friends. Let's see. 23 years oh, difference. 23 years. 23 yeah. years. See, 23. 23 so that's, not so that's less than my brother and his wife. <laughs> yeah, 23 is okay. But yeah, this 54 nonsense bullshit. No, no, no. I feel like if you're going to marry somebody and you and there's that much of an age difference you should have to go to like some kind of counseling to make sure you guys are doing it for the right reasons and when he married her he gave her a 40 carat diamond ring 40 carat 40 carats which she kept in a bank vault what is the point of having it if you have to keep it in a damn bank vault <laughs> right how could you even raise how would you even raise your hand with that yeah. on you what the hell? Do you have a pa dude? I want to see what forty carats of diamonds look like now. How much yeah. does that weigh? I was just looking that up. <laughs> it's like having a poodle on your hand. It's huge. <laughs> oh my god! I don't think I'd want a diamond that big. <laughs> oh, it's geez. like practically yeah. the size of the box you put the ring in. Uh huh. That's huge. Yeah. So that dude had some money. Does anybody see how much it costs? That's like, that's some serious dough. And it's, I'm sorry, but it's that big square cut. It's not even. Yeah. yeah. I don't like the square cut diamonds. Yeah. I mean, I don't mind them, but this one looks like, I, it looks like a joke. It's really bizarre. So there you go. Anybody who wants to like sweep us off our feet and give us a lot of money. Don't do it with a big square diamond. We yeah, won't thanks. It. Right. I want like a sweetheart cut or something. I don't need 11 carats. <laughs> Just 3.5 is fine for me. The largest diamond ring in the world is a 59.6 carat. Good Lord. Who owns that? I don't know. It's pink. Oh, my gosh. Wait, I have a picture of it. It's crazy. It like it 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 is so big that it goes all the way like up to the knuckle. Dang, it's fifty nine wow. carat. Oh, the fifteen most dude. We're on such tangents. We're like looking up the weirdest shit. Grace Kelly had the most expensive diamond engagement ring. It was thirty eight point eight million dollars, and Jackie Kennedy Onassis had the second, and it was twenty million dollars. My hmm. gosh, that's insane. Third is Mariah Carey with a $10 million ring. Who'd she marry that had that much money? Not Nick Cannon. Well, maybe he sold a bunch <laughs> of those kids. <laughs> What's that? Maybe he sold a bunch of those kids. <laughs> <laughs> I think hers were the first ones he had, and then uh, he realized he really liked kids. Didn't Elizabeth Taylor have some enormous diamonds? She is the too? fifth most expensive it's 8.8 .8 million there are a lot of people that have a more expensive ring than melania trump she's the 14th somebody needs to step trump is not doing a very good job man i'm sure he'd argue that with you i'm sure he would <laughs> i have like a half carrot and sometimes like i feel uncomfortable wearing that i don't even know how you'd go up Dude, wouldn't you feel like people were constantly trying to, like, get it off you? And although you'd feel it because all of a sudden your hand would be light and you'd be like, whoa, look, my arthritis <laughs> is gone. I don't. I guess I've never really worried about anyone stealing any of my jewelry. Of course, I've never had that much bling going on. Maybe I, I need to find me a rich 83-year-old. off my hand. <laughs> Need to find a rich 83-year-old to buy, to buy me a $10 million <laughs> engagement ring. So then I can worry about it. Right? Mm-hmm. Sugar daddy. That's what's missing in my know. life. A 40-carat engagement you ring. You gotta be careful when you're picking people super old, though. Like, I mean, at 83, do you have to, like, change diapers and stuff? I mean, I guess if they're real rich, you have home health care. Well, yeah. Can you imagine rich, you having to take care of your super old husband and your babies? 
I was telling Mr. Keith that um, they're probably like she's going to have an 83 year old in diapers and like a baby in diapers. And that's going to be weird. At least she wouldn't have to worry about mixing up the sizes. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I hope not. Pampers for you and pampers for you. (laughs) (laughs) One gets the sailboats, one gets the teddy bears. I apologize to anybody who's listening who might have like a 50 year age gap in their marriage. I mean, you do you, I guess. I'm still creeped out, but whatever. I mean, ultimately, it's their choice. And unless she had to get married against her will, then, hey. Yeah, chances are you'd be like, eh, you've got a nice house. It's cool. How long could you live? (laughs) Now he'll live 20 more years just to spite her. Just to make sure that she's out of the prime of her life. Do you get a prenup when you do that? Because that would really be shit. You know, can you, yeah, you can marry me, but you don't get any money. Although I guess, is that, if you have a prenup, you still get the money if they die, right? Yeah, it's just if you. Now it sounds like I'm doing a true crime novel. Sorry, I'm not bumping anybody off. I'm just curious. It's just if you get divorced with the prenup. Well, actually, no, because a prenup can specify, this is really weird. I never would have thought my family was fodder for like tabloid stuff, but (laughs) Have yet another family story. It was everything. My my mom got remarried when she was eighty five. She had my father had passed away. She was living in an assisted living facility, and she and this other old guy in the assisted living facility fell in love, and they got married. And it was real. It was really very sweet. It was one. It was like one of the best things that ever happened to her in the last years of her life. But they signed a prenup because both of them had families that they had already had their wills and their provisions made for. And they wanted to be sure that nothing changed that. So they had a prenup basically that specified that all of their previous wills and everything were in place. And so when they died, not that I, my brother and I weren't interested in contesting anything and, and his family was also we weren't we weren't that kind of let's go to court and try to get more money sort of thing right but he did sign a prenup just to specify that everything stayed the same his family still got his money and it went to his kids and mom's family got her bequests and went to us and that there was no no mingling of the finances that way or anything so it's not just in the matter of divorce it was Hmm. It can see, be that's whatever sweet. you want to provide for. Two, two people, like older people getting married, that's sweet. I mean, even like if you're 85 and you're marrying like a 63-year-old, like I still am cool with that. It's when you're 83. and mar- Like I don't have a problem with people being older and getting married. Like that's really sweet and cute and awesome. I just wonder about these 29. It's got to be for money, right? Well, we don't know that for sure. Well, at least and at least if you if it's two people that are that are both older, I can see that working. <laughs> I guess there's more of that that goes on in those facilities than than people imagine. <laughs> it was years back and there was a nursing home in I want to say Florida where they were riddled with STDs because all these people were getting it on. Well, and I was like, more power to you, but you still got to wrap it before you tap it, mm-hmm. dude. <laughs> and Full you know party. the staff has got to be like tracking what's going on. Who's with who? There's They probably have like a flow chart in the, in the nurse's station. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, a, I bet it's like a soap opera. Well, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. Could you imagine? Oof. Last days of our lives. Yeah, these the are the last days, days of our lives. lives. That's a good one. Matt. A whole, a whole slew of soap opera, nursing home soap operas. The Edge of Death. Um, it's the new telenovela, The Edge of Death. <laughs> That's a little dark. The old and the restless leg syndrome. <laughs> there you go. Or just old and the restless, old and the yeah. restless guiding into the light and that's going to do it for three Three book Book girls 
Can't get enough of Three Book Girls? Check them out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow them on TikTok, YouTube, and check out their website at threebookgirls.com. And join the group Three Book Girls Tribe on Facebook. If you really love them, share the podcast with a friend or join them at one of their live events. Three Book Girls, a Steel Trap production.